Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Uh, we were joined for a special podcast earlier by our friend Kyle, who's our frustrated Georgia sports fan. And he let out a lot of anger about what had happened over the weekend. Um, Joe, I, you know, I'm going to lead in our show too, talking about what happened with the Braves, because really disheartening. Can't say it was entirely unexpected, but just tell me all your thoughts that were going through your mind and what really was an epic Game 7 and probably one of the most heartbreaking losses I've ever seen. Yeah, Dan, I would say, first and foremost, um, I looked back to a lot of misuse on the base paths. The base running was a really big issue. Um, you look at after the Braves took the uh, 2 to nothing lead, they had an outstanding chance to get more runs. And I think they had uh, runners on second and third with nobody out, like the second or third inning. And Alston Riley decided to try to score on a ball that was hit right to the third baseman. So they threw him out and going to home, and then they were able to even get the runner out trying to go to third. And so that's two runs potentially wiped right away. And if you look at the final score being, I think, uh, three to two or four to three, that's the difference in the ballgame. And then the second component of my frustration was the fact that we took Ian Anderson out of the game too soon. I know he gave up two runs in three innings. But Ian Anderson is a gamer. I really trust him. He reminds me a lot of uh, uh, John Smoltz as far as his ability to be a big game pitcher. And I just feel like if you had left him in the game, he could have given them a much better chance to win. Yeah, Joe, I thought the biggest mistake in the game was the error by Dansby Swanson in, in running. Um, that was a situation where you got, you've already scored one run, you have the bases loaded no outs, and instead of waiting to see what happens, he took off. But then, Joe, he made it even worse by not actually going with authority because he should have realized, I'm already out. But if I go and I slide and I put a real tough dig in, then at least I'll be the only one that's out. And instead, he got himself caught in the pickle and made it to where that was possible for Austin Raleigh to run from second and third and out like that. So once he made the mistake, he should have gone four bore in the mistake instead of trying to rectify it in a situation that really was untenable. And that's his fault for coming back even more so than him going forward to begin with. So him getting in the pickle is really what made that play bad. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to try to get into a rundown. You know, you don't want to be just an out. Like, you don't want to give yourself up too quick. You know, you want to make the other team have to work for it so the other players can advance and so they're not out as well. And that's not what happened at all. And, you know, it was not just in Game 7. In uh, Game 6 or Game 5, I can't remember which one. I want to say Game 5, uh, the Braves also jumped out to like a 2 nothing lead. And Marcelo Zuna had the base running blunder at third, where he did not tag up on an out to right field. And so Mookie Betts was able to double him up at third base. He left uh, too early. And so you start, like, you know, in a series this close, looking back at missed opportunities and a run here and there really made a difference. And for a Braves franchise, you know, that knows postseason heartache, um, I think that a lot of us were kind of worried, even with a 3-1 lead, that something like this was possible. 
but the way that it played out, I think, made it even more difficult. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I look at so many moments in that game, not just the, the Dansby Swanson mistake in running home. If you look at Buki Betts' home running grab, uh, home run stopping grab at the wall, which really blew my mind because it looked so easy for him. It looked like he could have hit that ball three feet higher and Mookie Betts still would have gotten it. And that was what blew me away by that player is that it just seemed like it was just a no-brainer routine thing for him and that he'd always catch that ball. And then – You know, it's amazing with his defense. His defense was really good. That wasn't even the best catch he made in the series. And then, of course, you move on, you have Cody Bellinger's just massive homer. I mean, that, there was no question about it from the second that left his bat. And it just, you know, just all those things combined to have what I'm sure for someone who had no vested interest in it was an absolutely fantastic baseball game to watch, but one that was just utterly heart-wrenching if you were a Braves fan. It was, um, and, you know, both um, series in the championship round were really interesting how they played out because you saw the Braves blow a 3-1 lead and the Dodgers come back. And then um, on the flip side, you saw the Tampa Bay Rays blow a 3-0 lead, and the Astros won the next three games, only for Tampa Bay to kind of surprisingly win game seven without any momentum. And so it was really a wild uh, uh, round of the playoffs. It really was, Joe. And what's going to, I think, be even more frustrating for Braves fans is you look at the way the Dodgers beat up on the Rays last night, winning 8-3. Uh, Joe, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers won this in five games. I mean, I think they're a much better team than the Rays. I think the Braves had a very legitimate chance to beat the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series, and that's going to be probably the worst part about it for Braves fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a a golden opportunity for the Braves. Uh, I saw an interview with uh, Freddie Freeman where he said, you know, there weren't any regrets. He was proud of what they accomplished as far as leaving it out of field, it all out of field. And he was like, this is the start of something special. I want to believe that, but I also know that opportunities like this don't come around every year. And everything, you know, was perfect. Um, I think that the fact that the games were being played at neutral location was the key thing for the Braves to have a good chance. You know, they didn't have to play this game seven in a raucous environment in L.A. This was, you know, a very sparse crowd. So you have all those factors working in the Braves' favors this season, and they just weren't able to capitalize. So instead, to your point, the Dodgers more than likely are going to win the World Series. Um, they won game one last night. I did see where Tampa Bay is ahead tonight so far, but I, I just I would be very surprised if Tampa Bay won. Um, I'm rooting for Tampa Bay. Um, I think they're a great story. Um, their payroll is about as low as it gets in baseball. And I find it very interesting. I will say that they're facing off in the World Series against the team that spends as much money as anybody in baseball outside of the Yankees and the Dodgers. Well, Joe, i got to say this. Uh, their money is definitely well spent because Mookie Betts earned every penny that they paid him. I mean – you got to be so upset if you're a Red Sox fan seeing that guy play for someone else. Because, like I said, I came away from that series being even more impressed with him than I ever was before. Yeah, just two years ago, he was uh, playing against the Dodgers in the World Series 
with a loaded Red Sox team. So it's amazing how quickly things have changed. Well, it just shows you what kind of difference maker it can be. And, you know, I hope that the Braves, they got a lot of young talent right now. I'm hoping maybe we can see a resurgence. I mean, I'm not going to even try and say they're going to be anything like they were in the 90s. But maybe you'll see a few good years in a row and maybe a team that can keep making some deep playoff runs. But just like you said, I'll believe it when I see it, them coming back and having another year like they did this year. Yeah, same here. But I do love the making of pitching rotation. Uh, like, I love Ian Anderson. Like, I really think he's a future ace. And then I really like Max Reed and Mike Soroka, who was arguably their best pitcher coming into the season. He got injured, and he'll be back next season, too. So that's a really good one, two, three punch. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Ian Anderson, what he's done at 23 years old and a rookie. I mean, he pitched fantastic in the postseason. Never really had a bad game. And I think he, I think you're right. I think he's going to be a stud. He's going to be a future star in this league. Right. So, you know, I think, there, I think there's definitely uh, there's definitely hope for the future if you're a Braves fan, but very disappointing end to what otherwise was a fantastic season. Yeah. For sure. All right, speaking of fantastic seasons, the other thing I wanted to talk about in our first segment uh, together is Derrick Henry's uh, play this year. Um, Last year, of course, the last eight games of the season going into the playoffs, I mean, he was running like a madman. He was basically putting up a team's worth of yards every game. And I think that maybe people were, you know, had it happened a little earlier, maybe would have thought about it. Uh, putting him in maybe an MVP-type consideration. Uh, of course, he showed it all in the playoffs with even his throwing ability against the Ravens. But this season, I mean, he's come right out of the gate, and he's been not just the most dominant running back in the NFL. I think there's a solid argument, Joe, that he could be an MVP. Uh, last week, he put up pretty much 300 all-purpose yards for 200 yards rushing. I think he had about 70 to 80 yards receiving. And right now, I mean... It's not just that he's getting all these yards, it's the way he's doing it. He's running over people. He's got the most powerful stiff arm I've ever seen on a running back. And I think that, Joe, the time is now for us to get a running back back in the MVP slot for the National Football League. And it's Derek Henry. Yeah, he's got a great chance right now. Um, you know, I was talking with you before the show. I think it's uh, between him and Russell Wilson at this point. Um, I think they're the front runners, and that can hypothetically be down the road a Super Bowl matchup this season. Uh, I think that Derek Henry, what he did last year in the playoffs, is just a Herculean effort. He almost single-handedly uh, basically took the Titans to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a running back be that dominant in a postseason run, especially winning in New England winning against top seed Baltimore and giving them a great chance to win against Kansas City. So the, the hot start he's off to this year, you know, that was not a fluke at all. Um, you know, it's hard to believe when you think about when he came into the league, he was drafted, I think, in the second round. And Leonard Fournette, conversely, was drafted as a top five pick. You know, oh, if they could do it over again, you just look at the difference that Henry's made as a frontline starter. Yeah, Joe, I mean, it adds a lot of credence to those people in the NFL who think that running back's an overvalued position. You can get some solid depth later on. I mean, lately in the draft, it does seem that the guys that you've been getting in the second and third rounds have been much more successful than a lot of guys that are going in the top five. 
I think lately the only guy I can think of that was a top 10 draft pick who's actually been a successful running back in the NFL is Zeke. I think Ezekiel Elliott's the only one that you have that really has been a first-round draft pick and has been doing a lot in the NFL. Outside of it, you see a lot more Fournette's than you see Zeke's right now. Mm-hmm. You really do. And, uh, you know, Elliott's been pretty good, but, um, you know, um, this year for the Cowboys, you know, that's another conversation with the utility of that division right now. Um, I saw the day where um, the Eagles are right now the favorites to win that division. <laughs> and, and right now the prognosticators have them slated to finish with a 6-9-1 record and win the division. What a pathetic division that is in the NFL. Just awful. Um, Joe, you want to talk about 2020 vision. Uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. What an interesting dichotomy that is right now because, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they offered him over $100 million in the offseason to be their quarterback for the foreseeable future. And he turned it down because he believed that he was owed top five quarterback money. And now, with all of their obvious deficiencies they have across the board, do you think there's any way in the world that Jerry Jones would agree to give him a contract in excess of that, based on what you're seeing right now? Because right now, I mean, I like that. I think he's a good quarterback. He's a good person. He's a guy I root for. But if I'm Jerry Jones, I cut and run with him right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I would be very surprised if he's back with the Cowboys. I don't know if it will be Andy Dalton as the long-term option, but I think they're going to realize that they're going to want to spend more money in other positions and save money at the quarterback position. And I think that Prescott made a huge mistake, I thought so even at the time, not to accept that contract extension. It just seemed to me like when you look at the trajectory of his career, as a former fourth-round pick out of Mississippi State, you know, having that type of money, if you make over $100 million in a contract, I mean, that is just, to me, the ultimate. Mm-hmm. And to want anything more than that, I mean, I can understand you want to have the willingness to earn as much money as possible, but at the same time, that was such a good deal. I'm really surprised that he did that he didn't sign that. Well, and you also got to think, too, I mean, it's not just that you're getting paid $100 million plus million, it's that you're getting it in a good organization. I mean, you're in it with the Cowboys. That's America's team. This is not the Jets offering you $100 million or the Bengals, somebody that's a bad franchise right now. This is one that has a lot of talent. It's historically one of the best franchises in the NFL. You a billionaire owner, really, really great fan base. And you got playmakers all around. You got Zeke, you got Amari Cooper, you got uh, CeeDee Lamb. I mean, it just goes on and on. And then to me, that's worth you deciding to take a little less money to play on a team like that. And now, unfortunately, he's probably going to get he's going to get cut, and he's going to get taken on by a team more like the Bengals and the Jets. Yeah, I can certainly see that. And you have the endorsement opportunity with the Cowboys. You need a lot of commercials. I mean, you're going to make money through that, too. I mean, you look at the money that LeBron James has made. You know, a lot of his money has obviously been through endorsements and off-the-court um, enterprises. And I think that Prescott, at the age of 27, you know, he just hit the tip of the iceberg as far as those earning capabilities. Yeah, it, it's sad. But hopefully he'll, he'll land at some place that's good. 
Um, you know, speaking of kind of these lower level teams, and we were talking about Derrick Henry earlier, uh, Tua Tagovailoa got to play his first NFL game. That was at the very end, and it was in trash time. But it's interesting because I think a lot of Dolphins fans thought you would see him sooner this season, even with his injury. But suddenly, Fitzmagic has the Dolphins playing really good. And the only reason Tua got in is because they were beating a very terrible Jets team by 20-plus points in the end. Yeah, I was reading about that story today, Dan. Um, There was some news that apparently the uh, Dolphins have made the decision to start Tua on Sunday and to no longer go with Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick said that he was very uh, heartbroken over that decision because he may have actually started his last game in the NFL now that he's 37 years old. Um, And I was surprised with the fact that they had been winning games lately. Um, I kind of thought they would be extra cautious of two of this season, you know, maybe play him some to mop up duty, but really wait until 2021 for him to take over as a full-time starter. Yeah, that's kind of surprised me, too. I think that's a little bit of a, of a quick move if I were the Dolphins. And I think two is an amazing talent, don't get me wrong. But the way I look at it is Fitzpatrick is a guy who, when he's good, he's really a very solid NFL quarterback. He's had seasons where he's been one of the more prolific passers in the NFL. I mean, he was beating out James Winston for a while with Tampa Bay. He's had a good career. And I kind of think when you're the Dolphins, you don't you never win games anyway. I mean, let's be honest, Joe. That was one of the worst franchises in the NFL. You win three games in a row, and you're going to bench your starting quarterback? That's pathetic coaching. Yeah, that's really, I think, going to divide the locker room. And that's going to cause, you know, some mixed emotions because, you know, some people are going to be happy to do it, but they're also going to be looking at it from a standpoint, you know, it really won't matter if I perform well because I can lose my job. I, I think it will make a lot of people second guess and kind of question the decisions being made by the front office and specifically by the, by the coaching staff. Yeah, I think, this is a, I think this is an instance of the Dolphins getting in their own way of success. This was a team who was suddenly coming out who could maybe have been a playoff team, and now they're coaching themselves right out of the playoffs. And I hate to say, it, I think this is going to be a massive failure now, at least this season. Yeah, I mean, you could you could win that division still. I mean, you're three and three. Uh, the Bills now lost a couple of games, and they're four and two or something like that. Patriots I mean, are two and three right now. Yeah, Patriots have lost some games. The Jets are horrible. I mean, you could you could win the division this year. Fitzpatrick has. Uh, been a playoff quarterback before, I believe. So, I mean, this was a very good opportunity, and they're kind of uh, squandering that. That's right. Well, Joe, speaking of a good opportunity, uh, you can listen to all of our shows on Spotify. All the Damage Sports shows are uploaded weekly by myself. We're also available on Google Play and Apple Podcasts. If you want to watch us live, you can tune in every Wednesday at 9 p.m. on Facebook Live and see Joe and I and other guests, like we have uh, Kyle. Uh, next week, uh, Joe, we have a really special guest. Why don't you tell our listeners who we got coming up next week? That's right, and uh, really excited. We're going to have um, the two co-hosts, hopefully, of the uh, Stingray show, um, Stephen Stingray and uh, Heath Hopkins. And uh, Stephen Stingray is a guy that was quite the YouTube sensation. Uh, was a very famous Mississippi State fan. And, um, he 
used to be on YouTube a lot, and now he has his own podcast and show on Facebook Live with Heath Hopkins, and they've been kind enough to agree next week to join us right here on the Dan and Joe Sports Show. That's right. We're really excited to have uh, Stingray Steven. That ought to be an interesting, uh, interesting show for us. Uh, thank you for all of our listeners, and we'll come back for a little bit of a recap show in just a few moments. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.